0: Before we get started with the show today, I have another listener to thank for a donation. Kelly Berg donated $50 to us on PayPal. Thank you so much, Kelly. That's incredibly generous of you. If you would like your own shout out on the Messy Studio Podcast, please go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. It's a yellow button in the upper right hand corner. It says donate and there you can set up a single time donation or a recurring monthly donation for any amount. So that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. So thanks again, Kelly, for your incredibly generous donation. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. And with me as always is Rebecca Kroll.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: So on today's show, we have something a little bit different. We have actually a three-way interview, which is kind of a first for the Messy Studio. Uh, Both Rebecca and I will be interviewing uh, Dave Gita. He's the CMO at Bold Brush. Uh, We connected with Dave after our episode on websites. Uh, Several of our listeners mentioned that they use uh, Faso for hosting their artist website, and we reached out to them, and Dave was the person who we connected with. And since then, the Messy studio has been featured in the Faso newsletter every month, which is how some of you have found us. Uh, and the first time we talked with Dave, I think we talked for at least an hour and we really enjoyed the conversation. And at the end of the phone call, I said, hey, man, we got to get you on the podcast because this is great content and we want to share it with our listeners. Uh, so, Dave, uh, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Bold Brush and Faso?
2: Sure, it'd be my pleasure, Ross. And uh, before I do, I just wanted to thank everybody. Thank you, your mom, for having me on the show today and uh, and your amazing audience for supporting you guys. You, you know, um, I'm a big fan of your work, so so thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Uh, I'm the chief marketing officer at uh, Bold Brush, and uh, we've uh, been around for about 20 years now, if you can believe it. Uh, we first launched the company back in 2000. And when we first started, we the only product we had was Faso. Which at the time was this uh, really easy way for artists to build websites without having to work with a graphic designer, and like most other software, we've added features you know over the years, and now Fosso is this full-featured art marketing platform, sort of like a HubSpot but for artists that enables them to sell art online pretty effectively and in a very small amount of time. But we're not just about that either. We've uh, since then launched like contests, and uh, we have an instructional the online instructional art platform the streaming video platform that we offer artists and a ton of other resources. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's us in a nutshell. And, uh, and I've been here for a little over seven years and I think in that time, I've literally talked to thousands of artists and I'm, and I'm happy to talk to at least one more. So thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
0: Thank,
1: thanks for being on.
0: <laughs> uh, it's my pleasure. So um, the last time we talked, we talked a lot about uh, marketing and what artists are doing right and what they're doing wrong. Um, and you helped us out a lot with, with our own content and the way that we present it. So um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about kind of common mistakes that artists are making.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, actually, before I jump into answering your question, can I give you guys a little in your audience a little bit of uh, like context? You know, a lot's actually changed, Ross, in terms of, you know, what we're doing around selling and marketing art. And, and not, not that our advice has changed. Like the stuff I told you back then is still the same. Um, but one of the things we launched at the beginning of the year is something we call our art marketing playbook. So if you remember going back a few minutes ago, I said, you know, I've literally talked to thousands of artists, and I have over the years. And when you talk to that many artists, these patterns begin to emerge in terms of what they're doing right and what they're doing, you know, wrong, right? You start to you start to figure out really quick what works because you see it working for artists. And you know, probably for the last three years, uh, I know I personally have been taking a lot of what we've learned and sharing it with artists, sort of in a one-on-one kind of an, uh, approach, doing some one-on-one coaching with coaching with our members, um, sort of like what we did at the end of last year. Do you remember? Yes. And uh, and this year we. You know, we did something we've never done before, uh, which is dumb on our part. But we sent out a survey to all of our artists and asked them, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to your art career? And uh, by all our artists, I don't just mean our members. I mean, everybody in our audience. And as you know, we have, I think over 100,000 artists that are either members of Faso or follow us through our newsletters or follow us on social media. And what was crazy was that 80% of the responses we're all the same. Eighty percent of the folks that responded to our survey said that selling art was their biggest challenge, and went on to say, "Please help me." And so, what we launched this year is something called the Bull Brush Art Marketing Playbook. We've taken all of those, you know, best practices and put them together in an ebook, and also launched a webinar series around that. So, a lot of what I'm going to be talking to you, uh, you know, guys about today. Uh, is stuff straight out of of our art marketing playbook. And and it starts with sort of one foundational element, right? Um, I think most artists, most people in general, when they start to try to sell online, they approach it as something to replace what they used to do in the real world. So if you're a brick-and-mortar retailer, for example, um, you know, most brick-and-mortar retailers get into the online stuff, you know, very often with the idea of, you know, at some point I'm going to transition all of my sales or most of my sales to brick and mortar. Um, and artists are sort of the same way. So if you think about all the things that we used to, that we're used to doing in the real world, like having shows and getting gallery representation, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, we, we view the internet as ways of replacing those activities. And the artists that think that way are, you know, hundred percent of the time, the ones that fail. Okay? The ones that succeed though, uh, they learn really quick that the internet and all this stuff we do in the internet is really lousy when it comes to finding and attracting collectors. And we can talk about that in a little bit if you want. Um, But what the internet is really good at is keeping you in touch with collectors that you meet in these other ways in the real world predominantly, uh, and then staying in touch with them until they're ready to buy. And so the artists that approach it this way regularly sell their art uh, very often regularly outsell their galleries in terms of you know the volume of art they sell and the price at which they sell it at and so you know everything that we teach around the art marketing playbook and all the coaching we do for artists really begins with that premise right which is you know you need to use the internet in the way that it's best designed for our market and then continue to do these things in the real world and then use them together to drive your art sets. Does that sort of make sense?
0: Yeah, right. And and art is a, a, a different kind of thing than selling anything else online. Um, there are crossovers between other marketing strategies for online sales. Uh, but art you know, is something where uh, it, do, it often doesn't look the same on a computer screen as it does in your living room. Um, and it's something that is... Uh, uh, it's difficult to experience virtually. Um, and so... Uh, there's a, a different strategies that are necessary in order to to transition to that online platform, um, and so I think it's really good that you guys have a unique perspective on on this specific thing.
2: Yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing. You're right in that um, you're right in some of what you say, but uh, there's one element of what you just shared with me that's actually not true. Right? Okay. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna share I'm gonna share a statistic with you that's just gonna blow the top of your head. You ready? I'm ready. Uh, Okay. Last year, uh, we went back and we looked at our e-commerce platform and we were trying to figure out, okay, how much art did our artists sell on our platform last year? Okay. Uh, Here's the number. They sold over $1.4 million worth of art last year on our platform. And this year, we're, we're slated to blow that number out of the water for a variety of different reasons, including this crazy pandemic that we're all dealing with. Uh, is that nuts?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's incredible.
2: Yeah. So it's not that um, it's not that collectors have a hard time visualizing art, right? Because we have a bunch of tools even today built into the platform that help collectors overcome that hurdle. Um, it's that you know every, every all good marketing is based on how people actually behave, right? And so. Um, when you follow, like, the marketing advice that you get from, like, you know, ad agencies and books that you read online and, you know, and, uh, and all those social media influencers, uh, they all make their money trying to help e-commerce companies sell products. And so when we try to follow their advice, it doesn't work because at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to sell art like Amazon sells sneakers. Right. And it just doesn't work. Uh, collectors, when they engage online, okay they don't behave the same way that you and I behave when we buy sneakers. So when you and I buy sneakers, we typically go to a site like Amazon, for example, and we type in things like uh, sneakers, maybe the color of the sneaker we want, the size of the sneaker, men's versus women's, right? Uh, We also might type in a brand name along with all that. But, But our searches are based on the characteristics of the product that we want, right? Are very often um, are framed around the problems that we're trying to solve. And collectors don't search for art that way. Um, they kind of search for art the way that you and I search for movie stars. Like, What would you type in if you were looking for a movie star?
0: Uh, their name, uh, yeah, maybe a, exactly. a movie that they were they, in.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, collectors do the same thing with artists. When they're looking for art, uh, they very often don't remember the title of the piece. And they certainly don't type oil painting, landscape, uh, yada, 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 right? They, they type in the artist's name. And, and that's where the disconnect is because the next question you have to ask yourself is, where did they get the name? And what you find, in, and I found after talking to like a gazillion collectors, is that all of that happens in the real world. Right, they went to a gallery show. They went to a museum show. Maybe they went to a charity event. Maybe they were uh, buying a house, and there was a piece hanging on the wall uh, of the house when the house was staged. And so they ask about that piece and who the artist is, and they remember the name. And then when they go to look for that collector on the internet, that's what they do. They type in the artist's name, and and, and fundamentally, that's why it just doesn't work. Because <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I've had million conversations about artists uh, and you know that they, they usually start with okay so what are the keywords I should be focusing on and my answer is always the same your name that's all you need to worry about uh, you, you do you do these things in the real world that we're going to talk about and you just make sure that your your name's on your website and is indexed properly and the collectors will find you and they'll stick around for a while and eventually buy from you
1: so uh, I have a question, um, David, it sounds like it's really important for people uh, to have actually seen something of your work, um, and that's really helpful, but I know a lot of artists wonder how this works when someone has never actually seen one of your paintings in real life, because it is really hard um, to accurately you know, portray your work in terms of color, everybody's screen is different and all those things. And um, I just wonder how you make sure that someone receiving your work um, is getting what they think they're going to get, or what do you do if they're not happy with it? Sure. I mean, personally, I I always say, you know, it's absolutely guaranteed. If you don't like it, I'll take it back. But there's that kind of, um, I think, resistance for a lot of artists and thinking, I cannot accurately show my work online.
2: Yeah. You know what I call that, actually? Uh, malarkey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, and, and, here's and why? why? I'm, I'm going to share. I'm going to share a story with you that I think is a really great example of what I'm talking about, and totally debunks that myth. Because uh, that is one of the most persistent and prevalent myths that artists have that just aren't true. Okay? And, uh, and before I get into it, one one quick side note here, right? Uh, most of the time, when it comes to being successful selling your art online the first most important step is just getting out of your own way. Right? Not clinging to these old beliefs, not clinging to what other people tell you, but learning from what works and then applying it yourself. And so let me tell you this story really quick because it's a it, it illustrates this point exactly. So there there's an artist in our base. His name is uh Frank Mays. Uh he goes by the name of Chip. And uh and Chip actually listened uh He's been listening. He's been one of those, uh, you know, really, the folks have been really following us around this AMP stuff. So he downloaded the ebook. He's been listening to all the webinars. And we did this uh, webinar uh, a little over a week ago where we were talking about storytelling, because storytelling is a, is a key component of this uh, AMP formula I've been talking about. And he reached out to me. Like that day, right after the webinar, and said, "Hey, I really appreciate all the stuff you're putting out there, and and I know it could work for me. I'm just kind of stuck, and I need some help. Can we get on a call?" And I said, "Absolutely." So we set up a call for Friday. I got on the phone with him, spent maybe an hour or so talking to him, and and you know, by the end of the call, I I said, "Look, let me boil it down to these few things that you can do immediately today." One of the things I told them was, on your Fossil website. Please, please, please turn on our e-commerce feature because he hadn't done that yet. List your prices. Okay. Uh, take a stab at cleaning up your bio so that you're telling more of a story instead of uh, it being just looking like a, a resume. Uh, and then reach out to all your collectors that you've had contact with over the years. Uh, and maybe even some of the people that haven't bought yet, but you know, you know are still kind of interested because they keep showing up. And then email them and say, "Hey, can I? You know, how are you doing? First off, uh, are, are, are you safe? Uh, and second of all, uh, I told them launch a newsletter and tell your story in the newsletter." And so he was asking them for their for permission to send them his his newsletter. And the guy took my advice to heart. He literally stayed up to like two thirty in the morning, uh, getting his website ready, putting you know reaching out to his collectors. And at the end of the night. Uh, you know, there was this one collector who he didn't have the email address for. Guy had never bought from him before, had never like been to one of his shows before, but was just one of these guys that somehow got, you know, Chip got on his radar and kept reaching out to him online and asking questions. And and you know what he did? Instead of giving up, he hunted the guy down on LinkedIn and, and sent him a message through LinkedIn, you know, saying the same thing. Hey, can I can I get you on my newsletter list? How are you doing? And uh and oh by the way, I, I you know, I updated my website recently. I'd love your feedback. So uh the next day, which was a Saturday, uh poor Chip, yeah, you know, again, he was up till two thirty in the morning, right? But he had this honeydew list that his wife had given him and he was up almost at the crack of dawn in his backyard doing yard work when his wife bursts out the back door and she's yelling, Chip, Chip, you're not gonna believe it. And she literally like ran out with a laptop. <laughs> and handed it to him. And, uh, and sure enough, this collector had reached back out to him, not only had given him his email address, but had purchased $5,000 worth of art from his website. Wow. How crazy How crazy is that?
0: It's fantastic.
2: Yeah. And this guy had never seen his art in person before. and uh, And then like a few days later, Chip came back to me, sent me another email and said, you know, he said, "You know, brother." He he, he kind of talks that way, right? He's like, "You know, brother, I gotta hand it to you, this stuff works." And by the way, that collector reached out to me and invited me to his home in Dallas. And apparently, this guy is very rich uh, for some very expensive whiskey and a night of gentlemanly conversation. <laughs> 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 and uh, and I love telling that story because it um, it. Not only illustrates how this stuff actually can work, right, sight unseen, but I also like it because it's a great example of storytelling. And one of the questions I have for you is: after I told you that story, is it a lot clearer now in terms of what I'm, of what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and stories are how we communicate with each other. And uh, and I think that it's uh, it's something that a lot of artists are not aware of in their own. Um, you know, in their newsletter and in how they communicate with people who are interested in their work is what people are buying is a story.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can I, can I share one more story with you along these lines? Absolutely. Because because uh, one of the other objections I get a lot from artists when they start down this path with uh, with AMP is they'll look at me and go, um, you know, Dave, I I, I I do have a story. I just don't feel comfortable talking about it. And and so I had this artist that I was working with and, uh, and this is actually, uh, you know, my conversations with her predate us launching app. So this was at the end of last year, basically. And, uh, and we had a few email exchanges, a few phone conversations, and we got to this point where, you know, she had this story that she, and it was an amazing story and she just didn't want to tell it. She didn't feel comfortable. And I finally got to a point with her, uh, which I don't get to very often, but I got to this point with her where I said, look, you trust me, right? And she goes, yeah. And I said, great. So here's what I'm going to do. You're going to send this newsletter out with the story in it. And if it blows up in your face, I promise you, I will make it up to you. But it's not. And you're going to sell a lot of art if you do this. And so that finally got her over the hump. And she said, OK, 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 I'll do it. She sent me an email two days after that. She said, Dave, I shared my story and a crazy thing happened. Just about everybody on my email list read the story. She had something like a 90% open rate on this email, which was wow. the highest she's ever gotten and completely nuts. And she said, and you would not believe how many people have emailed me back, reached out to me on social media you know, basically commiserating with me and saying, you know, and, you know, something similar happened to me and your story really touched me and I really appreciated it. In fact, one collector reached out to her uh, by phone, personally thanked her for her story, and then proceeded to buy a piece of art from her that was worth several thousand dollars, sight unseen. Is that nuts?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I guess, you know, I, I can identify with that feeling of not wanting to tell a story? And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going, yeah, but what's, what's the story? I mean, what do we want to tell her?
2: I have no clue. <laughs> well, let me peel back the curtain on this particular example, and I'll tell you what her story is. Uh, so basically, uh, she, she'd been a painter for many years. And about two years ago, she got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And, and if you know anything about rheumatoid arthritis as an artist, you know that that's, that's the kiss of death. That's sort of like a singer losing their voice. It makes it very challenging to paint. And she had been struggling with this condition for almost two years, you know, working with doctors, trying different medications, trying to figure out how to work around this condition. And uh, it wasn't until about six months ago that she sort of figured it out and was able to get back into painting and painting almost at the same level of production that she was before she got affected by the condition. That was the story she was afraid of tell. But it was her story, right? I mean, this is something that directly impacted her art career. And, uh, you know, in in AMP, one of the things we talk about is sort of, you know, the structure of good storytelling. And her story has all the great components. First of all, in order to tell a great story, the story has to have a beginning and a middle and an end, right? In her case, her beginning and her middle and her end was, uh, you know, I was an artist. I got rheumatoid arthritis. I struggled with it for a long time. And by the end of it, you know, with, with help from my doctors and others, I was able to get back to painting. And now I'm, I'm loving it more than ever. Okay? So that's her story, beginning, middle, end. The other thing about a great story is that it needs to have a hero or a heroine, somebody that ultimately you care about. And in this case, it was her, right? Uh, everybody reading that story was somebody that was part of her audience, part of her world, and cared about her. The other thing about a great story is that you need some sort of like villain or challenge uh, that you need to overcome, right? At great odds. And that's straight up her story, right? Rheumatoid arthritis was her villain in this tale. And along the way, you know, she got a bunch of help. So great stories also have, you know, something called the guide, you know, Uh, one or more people that guide the hero on their journey in the story uh, towards overcoming the obstacle or challenge. And, uh, and you know, in, in all great stories end up with the hero defeating the villain. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to know in a nutshell, what you should write, that's the structure for it and whatever's going on in your life, you know, that's what you should be writing about because that's what people want to know. Well, what, what if there's no,
1: nothing like that? I mean, that's, that's a dramatic story, as you say, with an arc and a resolution, um, you know, does everyone have something like
2: that? Absolutely. I, would you engage in a little experiment with me here? Bob. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh,
1: okay. We're, okay, we're okay.
2: gonna <laughs> we're we're gonna talk about your story, okay? And so here's All what right. I want you to here's what I want you to do. Now I'm giving I'm going to give you a couple of guidelines because there's a couple other couple of other aspects to great storytelling that are really important to make sure that you that you also include. Uh, one is that your story. Has to be genuine, uh, and the reason for that is that all of us get bombarded by marketing ads. Uh, I think, at last count, uh, it's over a thousand ads a day that we get bombarded with every day, where people are like making false promises, right? Like, use this and grow back your hair, lose this, use this, lose fifty pounds, buy this, buy that, uh, and so we become. Yeah, I hate very that good. stuff. <laughs> Pardon me. I
1: say, yeah, I hate that stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I, I do we too. all do, right? And yeah, exactly, and uh, and so we've become very astute at you know telling when people are kind of not being genuine with us, and and so when you tell your story, it has to be true and it has to ring true, right? The other thing about good storytelling uh, is that it also you need to you need to be willing to be vulnerable, okay, to put yourself out there, to tell the 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 bad along with the good. You need to tell your story, warts and all, okay. Uh, and, and, and it's those two elements along with the structure that make for a great story and everybody's got one. Uh, it's just that we're all like programmed to believe that our story doesn't matter, but it does. It matters to the people that care about it. So we're going to go through this exercise with you right here live. Okay. So bear with me, <laughs> uh, great. uh, for, for this process, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that I am somebody who you are close to. I mean, the type of person that you guys have no secrets for whatsoever, right? Uh, and, and you tell each other everything. And if you can think of somebody like that in your life who also, you know, is, an, is part of the art world or at least knows about the art world or knows about that side of your life, uh, you know, that would be helpful. Right? Or like so your very son. Artists have, yeah, like your son, <laughs> yeah. let's say. Okay. okay. <laughs> and uh, so what the heck? we'll use you, Ross. We'll get you into this as well, Okay. So imagine you were having this uh, – you hadn't seen Ross in a while for whatever reason. You guys got together for lunch and, uh, and Ross looked up, up at you with those puppy dog brown eyes of his. Blue. And said blue. – blue They're blue. I, I took a shot. It was a 50-50 <laughs> shot, Ross. It was great. Uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he looked at you with his puppy blue eyes and said, so mom, it's been a while. What's going on with your art career? What would you tell him? No filter, right uh,
1: now. Right now. Okay. Uh, well, it's, um, you know, the galleries are really struggling because we're in the middle of COVID. And um, it's slow, but I'm hopeful. And I've, I have have sold some things online,
2: uh, okay. small Okay, so I'm going to pause and, you right there. And I'm, I'm going I'm to pause yeah. you right there, okay? Now, go back to that first part, right? Okay. Sales are slowing down, right, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel like in um, your belly? How does that I, make you feel?
1: I think it's going to come back again. I'm not really worried about it. I think it's a time to kind of step back and say, I'm just going to make some work and not worry so much about selling it right now. Uh, okay.
2: Uh, remember when I said they were all pretty good at detecting BS? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you're, you may not realize it, but you're BSing me right now. Because the minute I asked you that question, you weren't thinking about Ross, you were thinking about me asking that question, and your defenses went up, okay? And right now, that's not really true to me, okay? I want you to go again. Think about that moment. Think about when you first realized that your art sales were tanking, okay? How did that make you feel? There's some
1: worry there, but I, honestly, I'm, I'm being honest that I think it'll come back.
2: I I, I believe that. Okay, But again, you're deflecting. I didn't ask you what you felt the, about the situation in the future. I asked you what you felt about the situation in the moment when it was happening.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't feel good, no? No, scary, you know, is you hear, you hear your, Yeah, when you hear it's, your it's, galleries
2: are struggling. Exactly. I mean, that's scary. Imagine, imagine that you've been relying on galleries for how many years now? And suddenly those galleries oh, are Forever. dying. Forever, right? And suddenly those galleries are dying, okay? And I'm going to help you out here because I know it's, it's hard when you're doing this on the spot, especially in front of a live or a semi-live audience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, the reality is um, you were freaking out, right? And there was this little voice in the back of your head going, oh, my God, what am I going to do about this? If all my galleries go away, how am I going to sell art? I am so not prepared for this. What am I going to do? I don't – i don't think i've really thought about it
0: well here i'll help you out dave because i i know this story you know and i and i i know what is really going on and the fact is that um rebecca has not relied as much on art sales for income um as a lot of other artists Uh, she teaches workshops and when this whole thing happened she was overseas in ireland and she had to cancel a workshop and come home early. Uh, because she was worried about being able to get back into the country. And she lost all of that revenue from that, that workshop that she would have done.
2: Oh, so, so let's use that example. How did that make you feel? Um, in the
1: moment? that That's very concerning, yeah.
2: Yeah. You're probably scared, wondering if you were going to make it back home. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. the reality, was probably the sales were the secondary concern. Your biggest concern was probably just packing up and getting back home. Well, quickly. Uh,
1: yeah, thank you, Ross. I think that's true. And I I think my other concerns about this current situation like go way beyond, you know, selling
2: art, honestly. <laughs> right. It's
0: your own safety that you're so, really concerned about.
2: Yeah. 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 And and so listen, I, I don't mean to like harp on the negative here. I'm focusing here a bit because this is the hardest part of storytelling. Right? The hardest part is really coming to terms with how these events in your life make you feel. Right. But it's really important. Mm. It's really important to focus on that because that's what readers of a story connect with. They connect with how those characters feel in those moments as these things are happening to them. And Mm -hmm. that's, and that's what artists shy away from. And what we found is that when you're willing to make yourself open and vulnerable, and talk about the good and the bad, and talk about how it makes you feel, and bring people along for the story, right? Because I think that's the other misconception that people have is that, you know, when I'm talking about storytelling, they think, oh, I've got to write a book and wait till it's finished, and then publish it and give it to somebody, right? Uh, no, no, this is storytelling in real time. So you're telling, our, our stories are happening right now. Right now. Right now, I'm in the middle of a story about this interview that I have to do, and how at the beginning, I was kind of really concerned because I'd never recorded myself on an interview before. And so I had to figure out how to do that really quickly because I didn't want to let Ross down and I didn't want to let you down because I love you guys. And that really made me anxious before this call. But <laughs> funny thing, we got on the call a few minutes early and, and Ross totally made me feel great about it. And here I am, confident as ever. See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. I just told my story.
1: Yeah, and you know, I I think that, you know, one of the reasons that we like to do this podcast is that we do I think we are pretty honest most of the time, you know. And I know there was a a time, I don't know when this was, it was in the late fall, early winter, and we did a podcast about studio struggles, and I wanted to do it because I was ready to tell about my own struggles with a particular time in my life with, um, I was a little blocked and I don't usually get blocked, but I was like, okay, I've been through this. Um, and I did talk about it and people really did respond to that because, you know, as you say, it, it's good to be vulnerable and say, uh, I had this problem and I had come through it pretty much at that point, although not totally. And
2: And, I know, I know
1: that people respond to that.
2: They do. And honestly, I don't worry so much about you, Rebecca, because, um, you know, some artists you included just sort of have that personality. Right. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're not afraid to um, you know express themselves and they're not afraid to share some of the scariest parts of their story. And those are the artists that tend to do really, really well uh, with storytelling and, and using it to sell art. Uh, it's all the other folks I worry about. Right, because mm. most people live their lives kind of like Henry David Thoreau uh, said in his book uh, *On Walden Pong, They all, we all live these lives of quiet desperation, where we can't mm-hmm. show any weakness, where we always have to put on a brave face, and and you know when you do that, what you're actually doing is isolating yourself from other people who are going through the same thing, who are themselves isolated, and you end up just being really lonely. And depressed a lot of the time. And and there's this wonderful thing that happens when you start to tell these stories. Where it not only impacts your art career in terms of sales. But it frees you up in a way that most people have never experienced before. And that's the part that gets me excited. Um, like for example mm-hmm. when this artist reached back out to me. Uh, the change in her attitude and her voice and her confidence. And the way she felt about the world. Even though there was this crazy pandemic going on. Uh, that to me was the biggest gift of all for her, right? The biggest gain. Um, and, and so anyway, I, I don't really worry all that much when it comes to you, because I know you're, you're you're a pretty open book on this stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's all those other artists I really got. And, and hopefully they're getting the message. Oh, thank hopefully you. They'll, well, they'll and start to open up.
0: I think that what a lot of artists struggle with, and a lot of people struggle with in general, in terms of, of being open and vulnerable, um, you know, it has to do with... Um, the experiences that we have in life with our friends and our family. And we all know that person who everything is always going wrong in their life. And all they do is complain about it. And they never take responsibility and fix it. And they nobody wants to be perceived as that person. And and that's why they don't want to be mm. vulnerable. And the key thing here is not that that person is vulnerable and open with their problems. It's that they never fix them. And what our stories require is resolution. We, we need our hero to come through in the end. And I think that that's really the most important part of the story is, you know, that you, you fix it and you find a way through and you get help. That guide character comes in and helps you and you need to allow people to do that.
2: Yeah. Ross, you just hit the nail on the head, but you know, there's also sort of like an anti character to that character you just described. And and before I could describe that other character, let me just say what I'm not suggesting is that you turn your, uh, you know your storytelling into just a long string of you you complaining, right? Because that's not genuine either. Life isn't like that. Life is full of successes and draws and defeats, and so you need to tell all of that story. You know, as you as it's happening to you as an artist. But there's this like anti character, so uh, where so just, everything like, goes that right. That, well, yeah, yeah. We've all got that fa- that friend on Facebook, right? right. Yeah, the social and, media and phenomenon. Their, yeah, and you look at them, and they're like my family's perfect, and my life is perfect, and look at my, my ham sandwich I had for lunch. That's perfect. But you know them in real life, and you know they are going through some serious stuff, right? Like they're bound on their house payment, you know, they're about to get a divorce, whatever it is, right? There is really serious stuff going on in their life. They just don't talk about it. And I don't know about you, but when I see that stuff come up on my Facebook feed, I just stream right over it. You know, if I think anything at all, I think, Oh my God, they're at it again! I'm out of here. Right? Uh, you don't want to be that person either. Right? Well, so, can
1: so. I stop you for just a second, mm-hmm. Dave? And isn't there, there must be a you know a happy balance with this too, where you, if you are promoting yourself as an artist, um, and you do those kind of frequent, not you're not sitting down telling the whole story, but you're doing these little updates on Facebook or whatever it is. Um, isn't there a need to project something positive there that you're um, you're working, you're producing, etc. cetera. Um, or, or can
2: you go overboard with that? Um, so, so here's my guidance on that, Rebecca. I meant what I said a second ago, literally tell your story, whatever it is, whatever's going on. Uh, Here, I'll use an example, right? Here's one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy that I see artists do all the time. They only post on Facebook and Instagram or send out a newsletter when they have art ready for sale, right? And we've all seen those posts. There's a picture of the artwork and a little note at the top that says, hey, just finished this artwork. You can check it out on my website. Buy it if you like it. That kind of thing, right? And I tell artists all the time that that is sort of like handing somebody a book where the only thing in the book are the last three pages. Like if I handed you a book, imagine I handed you Harry Potter when Harry Potter first came out. And I said, here, you got to read this book. And you opened it up and it only had the last three pages in it. How would that make you feel?
1: <laughs>
2: Not much of a book. Yeah, you'd be ticked off. You'd be like, where's the rest of my book? I want to hear the, <laughs> the, you know, the beginning and the middle before I even get to the end come on right Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and so that's what I see a lot of artists doing online is they just tell the end of the story right instead of going back and saying okay um let me bring my audience along with me uh starting from like the very beginning right so you're sitting there and you're thinking yourself okay what am I going to paint next and why do I want to paint this share that with your audience okay and then You know, share you a picture of you laying down the sketch on your canvas and saying, hey, just started this one. Check it out. Right. And talk about how that makes you feel. Uh, And then along the way, you might have a bad day where, you you know, you you tried something out and now you figure you have to rework it now. Share that. Right. (laughs) Well, I
1: I have to say, you know what? The thing that happens, I see over and over on Facebook is when people do that, they say, they put something up, they say, well, you know, I'm frustrated or I'm not sure if it's done or whatever it is. And 90% of the comments will be, oh, it's great, don't touch it or this kind of thing. And to me, Facebook isn't, and Facebook is what I tend to use mostly. It mm-hmm. seems like rather a poor, it's kind of a poor platform for actually having um a conversation if that's what you want or or engaging people because it seems like it just triggers this thing in people where they want to reassure you that everything's great but of course as an artist you go through these times of um, frustration or completely changing something that was working or all these things that we're kind of familiar with and they're part of the process but there's something about the Facebook um, I don't know what it is, the kind of the atmosphere there of like, it's, everybody wants to cheer you on, which is lovely. And I mean, it's, it's very well meant, but I get sort of frustrated with that dynamic. Um, and I don't tend to show things in progress. I, I might talk about them, or we might talk about it on a podcast, but the actual image seems to trigger this. Everybody needs to reassure you that, oh, no, it's all fine. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I yeah. don't know. And, is that just
1: Facebook or
2: what? <laughs> no, no. And, and actually, uh, I have a completely different perspective on that, right? Like, I, I think the challenge there is in how you engage with your audience, right? So if uh-huh. you post – so if all I do is I post, hey, uh, picture of my painting with something that says, hey, I'm having a really hard time. I think I screwed my painting up, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so most people are going to interpret that as a call for help, right? Right. Like, oh, Rebecca's <laughs> right. Is having a bad day. I should, I should encourage her. Right. Uh huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now imagine instead you did something like this. Uh, guys, you ever have one of those days where, you know, it's just, you're just not feeling it. I'm having one of those days today. I think I really screwed this up, but. You know, I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm going to get back at it. I don't know. What do you guys think? See where? I, see what I did there? I well, yeah, a question. but I, I, I asked a question, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, and what kind of response will you get? Like, oh, don't worry, it's fine. <laughs>
2: no, you're gonna get, you're gonna get, you're gonna get responses. In my experience, you're gonna get responses all across the board. There are going to be people that are going to say that, right? But there are also going to be some people out there, especially if you're, you know, like, you know, one of one of the. So, so this ties into another important concept. Before I get into that, though, I I heard Ross wanting to jump in and say something. So I'm gonna let you say your piece first, Ross.
0: I think that the important thing is that you invited the audience to uh, share a story themselves and uh, relate to your experience.
2: Well, I asked the question. And I didn't introduce any bias in my question, right? And when you ask it like a question, people, that knee-jerk reaction that people have where it's like, ooh, Rebecca must be having a bad day. I, I, need, to, I need to go cheer her on. Turns into, oh, she's asking me my opinion. And I really respect Rebecca. So what is my opinion? And, and then you think about how you're going to share that. So the responses tend to be more genuine when you ask the question. Uh, especially if when, afterwards when you're engaging with your audience, right? So, so Rebecca, most of the time uh, when people, you know, don't share like bad stuff with you, right? It's because they value your relationship and they're afraid they're going to say something that's going to offend you. Um, you know, my, my father-in-law who passed away a few years ago, um, in some ways he taught me a lot more than my own dad about life and human behavior. Because he was a great observer of human behavior. And I remember one time I was having an argument with him uh, about something. I don't even remember what it was about. Uh, but it had something to do with my career professionally. And, uh, and he said something that really hurt my feelings because he was horrible delivering messages. He was just not uh, – he was from the Northeast like I am, and he, had, he did not have a soft touch, right? So he would just tell you exactly how he felt. So he told me exactly how he felt. And I did something I never did before with him. I said, wow that really hurts my feelings. And he took a deep breath and he said, Dave, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but here's the thing. Your family is the only one that's ever gonna give you bad news. Everybody else in the real world is never gonna bother because they don't wanna offend you. So, you know, if I give you bad news, I'm sorry, but it's because I love you. And, and he's right. Almost 10 times out of 10, most people won't give you bad news unless you give them permission, right? So in part of telling your story, one of the things you need to make very clear is that you you wanna model it first, right? So you're sharing good stories and bad stories, but you also wanna tell your audience, look, don't just whitewash the feedback, right? Tell me how you really feel. I'm not gonna get offended. And then when somebody tells you how they really felt, you engage with them and you say, hey, listen, thank you. I really appreciate your feedback. And it's given me a lot to think about. Uh, Keep it coming. And when other people in the audience see you doing that, they're going to be 20 times more likely to share how they, quote unquote, really feel about whatever question that you're asking. So so for me, it's really about, um, you know, not only telling those genuine stories, but then encouraging other people, because in a sense, their feedback is a story that they're sharing with you, right? So you need to show them, model the behavior, and then also encourage them to be genuine with you in terms of the stories that they tell about whatever question you're asking them. Does that sort of make sense? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I think a lot of people don't do that, right? Uh, in some instances, it's because um, you know someone like you gets that feedback, for example, and thinks it's all baloney, right? <laughs> and gets discouraged, right? Because you're not getting you know, straight feedback from anybody. I think for other people, it's because they never ask the question or never put the problem out there to begin with. Uh, and, and I can tell you from having witnessed this with hundreds of artists, is when you start engaging with your audience in this way, they begin to reciprocate and you begin to have real conversations with them. And for a subset of those people, those real conversations turn into real sales.
1: Yeah, I think it's a real challenge on on social media because um if you, you know, you build up a lot of followers and you have a lot of people that are looking at your stuff and you don't, you know, you know some of them and you connected with some personally and then there's a large group of people that you have no idea who they are, you know, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's it's I think it adds another whole layer to that um difficulty of establishing, um, you know, real communication, because, yeah, they're just, they're just names and faces often. And, you know, I think it's, it's really good in a way. I mean, you you want that large audience, I'm sure. And yet to be personal, at a personal level with people that
2: you don't know is, you know, that's a real challenge. Well, and that, you know, you're a great straight woman, because that leads me into another very important (laughs) concepts oh go go um, for it <laughs> all right so uh, one of the other principles that amp is sort of built on is this notion that um, it's not quantity that matters it's quality okay and so and let me be clear about what I mean by that right I'm not saying that you should only ask people to follow you who are collectors okay because the reality is we never know who's going to be a collector you know what I mean uh, oh, right. I get calls yeah. all the time from artists who reach out to me and say, Hey, somebody just bought from me who I never thought was going to buy from me. Right? Uh, an artist just reached out to me the other day. She said, Yeah, the student bought a $2,000 piece of art from me. <laughs> she teaches workshops. And, uh, and she never thought of that person as a collector. So you never know. Okay. But here's where you, you, you don't are selective. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So here's where you are selected. you're yeah. selective in terms of connecting with people who connect with your story when you meet them and when you engage with them. Those are the people that you want to keep an an ear and an eye out for. And you'll know who they are because when you tell them your story about you and your art, they're typically the ones that kind of, you know, nod their heads and smile and say, you know, I'm glad you shared that story with me because I had a similar thing happen to me. Let me tell you about my story. And then they tell you their story, right? Uh, And by the end of that conversation, you feel the connection, right? Like you feel that they get you and they feel that you get them. Those are the people that you want to get to follow you on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the people that you want to get to sign up for your newsletter, even if you don't think they're a collector, because you never know. You never know. They might not ever buy directly from you, but because they connected with you and, and, and these folks tend to become really big fans of us, they are going to talk to other people. Right? And those and you never know who those other people that they talk to are, are are gonna actually buy from you. Right. Matter of fact, remember that story I told you about Chip and that collector? Um, that was exactly the situation. This was a guy that Chip had never met before. Uh, someone else that he knew turned him on to Chip and his art. And this guy bought five thousand dollars worth of art and invited him over for Scotch after the pandemic, right? Um so, so So does that kind of make sense?
1: Oh, yeah. And I, you know, (laughs) I know you're all, you you know, you're all about selling. I think there's a lot of those kind of personal connections that are so valuable, uh, whether they ever do buy or not, or whether they even promote you or not. It's that sense. I mean, as artists, we're trying to communicate. And when we know somebody is picking up on this and they get it, I mean, that's extremely satisfying. So it all works together i'm sure that's you know that's just a another perspective on it that it's it's also just a good feeling oh, to know yeah. somebody understands what you're doing yeah
0: there's something interesting that happens as we as we build an audience and it's we are sharing ourselves and our stories and as that happens people connect with us and they feel like they know us and like we're their friends even though we've never met and I think that that's that's a a two way street. Uh, we feel like it's only one way because we're the ones putting it out. But when people come back to us over and over again to listen to us, and that's something that happens with our podcast, um, they're a part of this, and and they're, uh, they they share a connection with us.
1: Oh yeah, we we see that all the time with you know with our book and our video, Jerry McLaughlin and I. I mean, people will say, oh, you know what it meant to them and how how important it was. And it's just, it's really moving. I mean, these are people I will probably mostly never meet, but they reach out and say these things that is amazing.
2: It really feels good. Yeah. I think Ross, you made an excellent point, which is that this type of storytelling that I'm talking about is actually co-creative. It's like a piece of artwork, right? Um, You know, you know, very often I'll hear artists say, uh, "You know, I just, I just paint for myself, right?" And the reality is, you don't, and you don't only paint by yourself either. The reality is, at some point, somebody's going to see that artwork, and they're and and unless you share a story about it, right? They're they're going to make up their own story about it. But a funny thing happens when you do share their story, because what they do is is you know they they actually riff on it, right? They actually, because that's a wonderful thing about stories, especially stories that resonate with our own stories, is that we, we start making them part of our story. Okay. I was talking to uh, an artist not too long ago who, who uh, this was before the pandemic. Uh, and I was, you know, she's doing her first solo show. And I was kind of coaching her a little bit on how to approach it and, and what to say. And, uh, and I shared some of the same feedback with her. She reached out to me uh, to say that she had, you know, talked to somebody who came to her show, uh, literally spent like over an hour talking to this person, which is nuts at an an opening, right? Like you want to talk to as many people as possible. But they connected on such a deep level that they literally talked for over an hour. And this woman was just sort of sharing her story with her and, and pointing back to the story of the artwork and her story and talking about how they were both sort of similar. And then they started sharing more stories with each other, uh, just like you would do with a friend over lunch. And by the end of it, um, that collector bought a lot of art that night. And, uh, and, and so that's the wonderful thing to, to remember is that um, if we do this right, we're engaging our audience in the story and making them a part of it, right? Um, so every communication that you make where you're telling your story, You always wanna make sure that you're giving your audience an opportunity to help to join in, right? By asking them, hey, what do you think about my story? Or, hey, did something similar happen to you? Reach out and let me know. Or, hey, do you know anybody else that this happened to? Or, hey, what do you think? Like the more you do that kind of engagement in your newsletter and on social media, the more involved they'll be in helping you write your story, which is an amazing moment, right? That moment when you realize, oh my gosh, This story is so much better because this person that I let into it has made it better by what they said or what they did or how they supported me or the tough feedback that they gave me.
0: Right. And what story only has one character or two characters or five characters? Stories involve a lot of people coming in and out of the picture. And we need to invite those people into our lives and allow them to participate.
2: Yeah, kind of like you guys invited me onto this uh, podcast, which I'm thrilled about. by <laughs> Yeah, and, and I'm well, very we are glad I'm, you I'm came very on. Grateful <laughs> to be a part of your story, guys. I really am.
0: Well, we're glad to have you here, and uh, we we only have about uh, five minutes left here, um, so I want to give you the opportunity. You've given us a whole lot of good content and a whole lot of um, really good information for our listeners, and I know that they're going to want to hear more from you. So uh, if uh, if you want to Tell our listeners how to find you, um, how to get involved in AMP, uh, how to how to use uh, FASO, and uh, how to get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, if anybody here just wants to reach out to me, uh, you can just email me at dave at FASO.com. Maybe you have a question about something we covered or uh, whatever. Um, I, I always try to make myself available to answer questions for artists. And so I'd love to help answer any questions that you have about anything we covered today um and you know in terms of like engaging with us i I think it really kind of there are two like primary ways you can do that um you know first off uh, that amp method that we talked about and all the webinars and all that great content uh that's something that we exclusively offer our members here at FASO and uh and so in order to get access to that kind of stuff you need to become a FASO member but because we love you guys and we do, uh, and by you guys, I mean you, Ross and Rebecca, and your audience. Um, we're gonna we're gonna offer you guys a special deal. So if you decide you want to become a member of Faso, uh, we're gonna give uh, Ross and Rebecca uh, a special promotional code to share with you guys that'll get you your first year here with us for just fifty bucks for your first year. Okay. Uh, now, if you're not in a position or you don't want to do that, another great way to you know kind of you know get into our universe is actually by entering the Bold Brush Art Contest and Exhibit. Uh, this is a, an online juried exhibit that we you know, hold every year and uh, we give out over $38,000 worth of prizes every month. Uh, and, uh, and and uh, the best part about it is your first entry in the contest is free. It doesn't cost you anything. So it's a great way to, you know, Get some promotion for your art and also uh, start to get a feel for who we are. Uh, And actually one more way too, if you want to visit us at fineartviews.com, Fine Art Views is our free newsletter where we talk about marketing and selling your art. It's what uh, Ross and Rebecca mentioned at the very beginning of the show. Uh, Feel free to subscribe there to our newsletter. That's absolutely free. And very often uh, a lot of the ideas that end up in AMP start there. And so, uh, and so it's a great place to kind of engage with us, kind of see what we're all about and how we help artists market and sell their art.
0: Yeah, and that newsletter is free and it's really, really terrific content. I subscribe to it myself. Um, so I want to really encourage everyone at least get on that newsletter.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Ross. And, uh, and you're not biased in any way being one of the authors, right? No,
0: no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right, awesome, awesome. Uh, anything else I can answer for you guys?
1: I think that's a lot of stuff you gave us.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know me. I'm a, I'm a talker, Ross. I'm glad to sit here for another three hours if you want. It'd be easy. <laughs> yeah, it certainly would, it?
0: Thanks again to Dave for doing the interview with us today. If you would like to take advantage of that offer that he mentioned, uh, there's going to be a link in the description of this episode. We'll also throw it up on Facebook for you. Well, that just about wraps up another episode of the Messy Studio Podcast. For more from the Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccakroll.com and www.squeegeepress.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space. Messy or otherwise.
1: Thanks everybody.